Hello and welcome to In Defense Of, a movie podcast. On this episode, we are tackling 2008's The Love Guru. With me as always, Aaron. How you doing, man? I'm good. And how are you? I'm good. I'm a better person for having watched The Love Guru. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, f- rewind to 2008. The Love Guru was put out by Paramount and it had a budget of $62 million, but at the box office it only made $49 million. And Aaron, a lot of people really hate this film. There's a lot of anger out there towards The Love Guru. Yeah. Definitely. So I want to I ask, um, what was your experience first watching this film? Um, okay, so I think I had to be... So it's 2008, this is a year after I graduated from high school. Oh, so, wow, yeah. yeah, so I'm in that classic, uh, like, just graduated, not sure what you're doing with your life uh, phase. And then you, what, what, do you, what else do you do? You go to the theater and you see movies. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I was in the theater. I think I was, I can't remember exactly who I was with. Uh, some of my friends anyways. And I remember peeing my pants laughing in the theater. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I remember going to see it in the theater and thinking it was really, really funny. Um, Mike Myers uh, is such a, he's such a piece of like Canadian um, pop culture, you know, having grown yeah. up with like SNL and Wayne's World and Austin Powers. I, I think everyone and, and Shrek, obviously, everyone was kind of excited to see what Mike Myers was going to do um, after kind of wrapping up what looked like the Austin Powers trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I remember, I think my dad and I went and saw the love guru and, um, yeah, I mean, Aaron, we mentioned when we were watching the ma- or talking about the master of disguise, how you like movies about chaos. And the entire <laughs> time I was watching this, I kept thinking of parallels between this and the master of disguise and kind of the yeah. chaotic breakneck speed nature of it. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I found interesting is like when we were talking about the master disguise, we said that um, like there's only few people who can play that role. And, you know, like Dana Carvey, Mike Myers, Jim Carrey, those were the names we threw around. And uh, same thing, same exact same thing for this movie. It's like few people who can play this role. And uh, it's like those exact same people again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Um, so the Love Guru currently sits on uh, Rotten Tomatoes at a 14% critical rating, aggregated reviews, and the audience score is 33%. So um, both critics and audience members alike didn't love this film. Um, and there might be a few reasons for that, but I just want to get into a couple things. This, this, this film was written by Mike Myers and Graham Gordy. And it was directed by a guy named Marco, and I'm probably going to butcher this last name, Schnabel. And Marco Schnabel, uh, he kind of worked his way up during the Austin Powers era. Uh, He Mm -hmm. was like, I think he was a director of photography or um, some sort of production role. But anyway, he'd, he'd obviously formed a relationship with Mike Myers and then directed this film, The Love Guru. And this is the only feature-length film that this director has directed. Yeah, nothing since. <laughs> that was that. Yeah, he's done, I think he just does, like, whatever TV now, you know. Um, 
Okay, so Aaron, let's dive in. Why don't we start by explaining the plot? Okay, um, so the plot is uh, Mike Myers plays the... Oh, man, I like... <laughs> I the forget guru, his name. Guru, guru Pitka. Pitka. Yeah. yeah, and uh, for those of you who are um, familiar, like it's it's supposed to be like Deepak Chopra, which they actually uh, reference in the movie here. And I not I'm like not too familiar with Deepak Chopra, but I believe he is in the movie as well. Like makes a cameo yeah. in it. Yeah, he and plays I, I believe that's him. Like the actual Deepak Chopra that uh, makes the makes the appearance in here. Um, yeah. But anyways, so he is a love guru, but he is a love he is a love guru that's not fully there yet. And mm-hmm. so in this movie, it's about him trying to further his success as a as a guru but also mm-hmm. helping a hockey player that's of the toronto maple leafs uh get better so that they can win in the playoffs right um and in doing so he also learns uh about himself and eventually gets to whatever guru plateau that he was trying to get to mm-hmm. yeah yeah so there's kind of two two major character arcs weaving you have the guru pitka who, when we meet him, he's kind of this egomaniac who all he wants to do is be uh, bigger, a bigger name than Deepak Chopra. And he figures the way he's going to do that is by making an Oprah appearance. Mm-hmm. So his whole motivation in helping um, Darren Roanoke, the hockey player, is that basically the Oprah show said I, um, if he can get them back together, um, then they'll have him on the show. Um, But then the other major character arc is, of course, Darren Roanoke, who he uh, split with his wife, and his wife is now with um, Jacques Jacques Grande, Uh, uh, played by Justin Timberlake, who's the goalie of the L.A. Kings. And the Toronto Maple Leafs and L.A. Kings, they're, of course, in the Stanley Cup Finals, Um, so... It's uh, Darren Roanoke is kind of their MVP as a player, but if he can't get his head in the game, they're not going to win the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Now, and Jessica Alba plays Jane Bullard, the owner of the Maple Leafs. Yes, and of course, uh, her and um, uh, Guru Pitka kind of have a, a back and forth uh, romance kind of thing throughout the film. Kind of similar to the assistant, but not really in Master of Disguise. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, don't um, for, don't forget about Vern Troyer. You gotta. Oh, of course, Vern he, Troyer. Yes. He is the coach of the Maple Leafs, and his name is Coach Cherkov. <laughs> yeah, which is actually uh, Coach Punch Cherkov. I guess there was a Punch something was an actual uh, coach of the Maple Leafs. Like I don't know when in the sixties or something like that, or not the sixties. That's pretty cool. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of. Um, Mike Myers is a huge in in in, uh, in real life. He's a, a huge Maple Leafs fan. Yeah. And in putting together this film, what's really cool about it is that um, Mike Myers really went the extra yard to make sure that everything was fairly authentic. That it was filmed in the Toronto area, not just somewhere pretending to be Toronto. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean the budget of this film, sixty-two million dollars. Uh, went primarily into licensing and cameos and, you know, all these huge names are in this film. Um, one of the things, Aaron, um, I want to defend, like, right off the bat 
is the hockey in this film. Mm -hmm. um, there are not a lot of films that have hockey sequences in them. Very, very few, actually. Maybe like half a dozen, like ever. Yeah. Um, reason being is like uh, hockey is like a really, really fast for it, fast sport, and it's notoriously difficult to film and filming on ice and capturing those kind of angles without making it look, you know, hokey like a Mighty Ducks movie or something mm -hmm. is apparently really difficult. Um, but Mike Myers, I, I was reading this interview with like the, the sports coordinator who uh, was on hand helping out with this film. And it was pretty cool how intense Mike Myers was about making sure that the hockey actually looked like hockey. Yeah. And so, like, they're actually filming at the um, um, the place where the Maple Leafs play. And um, they actually have some professional hockey players on the teams. And they actually use, like, the full-on licensing. Like, it's not fictitious teams. It's literally the Maple Leafs. And the LA Kings, the logos, jerseys, everything, advertisements on the boards, the whole thing's authentic in there. Um, but that is so expensive to do, right? To like use mm -hmm. a major sports team's likeness and get the permissions and all that stuff. Like that was really impressive to me. And so the first thing I want to defend right off the bat is like, we need more hockey in movies, man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'll, I'll touch a, touch a bit on this too. Cause like as Canadians, um, you know, cause like we all love hockey here and yeah. I hate the stereotype, but it's like, well, not all of us, but there's, there's probably the majority of us enjoy watching mm -hmm. hockey. And, uh, yeah. So when you watch it, you're, you're so used to watching it live and, and, um, when you watch it in the movie, you're like, holy crap, like they did a good job of this. Like they did it justice. Um, yeah, they, it, it wasn't it wasn't like uh, like they just threw it in there because they needed a plot line. Like they went above and beyond um, filming scenes and sequences and just mm -hmm. giving you that actual like feel like even with um, who is it? Stephen Colbert and uh, what's his name? Like Jim as, Gaffigan. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so funny. Cause that's like, that's like one of the first scenes that you see are those two guys and they do the whole hockey night in Canada, like theme song and it's, yeah. it's dead on too. Um, and so, so you're just like, like, holy smokes. Like, yeah, they must've paid the licensing for all this stuff. Yeah. And I would argue that Mike Myers is the only person in Hollywood that could have made this happen. Yeah. Um, to to rope together that much Canadiana licensing and this and that like that's really really impressive, really really impressive. Um. So, as as we said before, this movie's very chaotic. It's mm -hmm. very it's very like um, I guess I want to say juvenile. It's it, there's a lot of like low hanging fruit kind of jokes. Tons of dick jokes from start to finish. This whole movie is like one, yeah. one exaggerated, drawn out dick joke. Some scenes run a little long for my taste, Aaron. I had a bit of a hard time with a lot of this, um, but was so amused by Mike Myers' conviction and his mm -hmm. style of filmmaking. Yeah. Because coming off of uh, Austin Powers, He's doing his conviction and dedication to this role, and to make it as zany and bonkers, and you know, is 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 very. It's impressive because yeah. I, like we said, I don't know anyone else who could possibly pull off a role like this, 
And certainly movies like this just don't get made anymore. Mm-hmm. So one thing I wanted to ask, um, as you'd said that you'd recently, you told me uh, that you'd recently watched um, the first Austin Powers movie. Yeah. So I wanted to ask what your thoughts was on why Austin Powers worked, but this didn't. Oh, there's a, there's a couple of reasons. The, the number one reason that I think it didn't work um, is because the way that this movie is filmed, it's not really American, if that makes sense. Uh, oh, interesting. Because this movie deals with like Canadian Canadian plot lines, like hockey, like that's the main that's the main issue. Like there's not like hockey isn't is it's big. Um, granted, there's more American hockey teams, but it's like not as big a, of a deal as it is in Canada here. And right. um, and then on top of that, you throw like he's a he's a guru, right? And so. That deals with like Indian and and uh, Hindu culture, right? Right. And which is like no, uh, again, not another American thing. So it's like I just feel like it's less relatable for them um, as it is for like us Canadians or me as an Indian person. Like it's mm-hmm. even it, I feel like it's double relating, relate relatable to me. Yeah. Um. So I think that's one of the reasons, and. The other reason that I think that uh, Austin Powers has um, has succeeded so well, because like I know we've talked about this a little bit before, but I've been going back and watching the old James Bond movies, and mm-hmm. um, I've been like, "What is going on with these movies? They're <laughs> like he's borderline uh, <laughs> raping people. Like it's just it's just the stuff that he does in those movies is." like flat out would not fly today right and yes. i realized in watching austin powers that he, because like like a lot of elements and things that are in austin powers are pulled from the older james bond movies um like mm-hmm. there are some scenes that go like scene for scene that are in uh austin powers you know like it's it's like it's or sorry from james bond and it's like it's heavily influenced from james bond and so what mm-hmm. i think austin powers did was it like took it took that like time and that error and it took like a character out of it, but then it blew it out of proportion and then and of like what was going on at that time and it made a joke of it and it made like everybody like ease up and how how weird it was. Mm, and so yeah. it so it ended up making this like it made it ended up working really well because like yeah, it was just it ended up being like a super funny movie. Um, and yeah. obviously had like the American culture and things like all that in it. And yeah. Yeah. It's almost as if everyone was more in on that joke. We, they understood the references where it was coming from kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas this kind of came out of left field. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the behind the scenes things that I was reading, which I thought was kind of interesting, um, apparently around the time of the third Austin Powers movie, um, Mike Myers went through a divorce with his wife. His wife uh, left him. And in real life, he actually got guidance from Deepak Chopra. And allegedly was so um, taken with... He was so influenced by it that he got Deepak's permission to essentially mold this character after him and then, of course, launch it into the stratosphere the way Mike Myers does. So there's this interesting kind of meta quality to this film 
right below the surface where the love guru, even though he's a Mike Myers character, there's a lot of Mike Myers himself kind of working it out on screen. You know, we've talked about、mm-hmm. that in other films where it kind of feels like someone just like working their crap out on film. Yeah. That's kind of what's going on here. Part of me gets kind of weirded out, and I'm like, man, imagine being Mike Myers' ex wife and seeing this movie come out. You know, if she's seen it, how does she feel about watching that happen on screen? You know, it's a、yeah. little weird. There's, there's weird stuff that goes on like that in Hollywood. Yeah.、Um, so behind the scenes, you have this、um, you have a personal situation that's kind of getting worked out on film. So that's、mm-hmm. the backdrop to the zaniness we're going to get into here. Yeah. So, I read a interesting piece of trivia about this that the character that Mike Myers、um, had in here, the Guru Pitka, was originally supposed to be a, like, another character in Austin Powers, and he was supposed to be Austin Powers' guru. And,、uh, oh. yeah, and so, and then in 2008, like, they rumored it, and in 2008, they, like, came out and, yeah, he made his own movie. So, I thought that was really interesting as well. That is really interesting. So, that character would have been in Austin Powers 3, and then、mm-hmm. you kind of just. That, yeah, Austin Powers 3 is already a pretty bloated film, lots of characters. So, he saved it and then developed it for this, I suppose, hey? Yeah. And I'm really、yeah. hoping that in. Because they're, rema- they're doing a fourth one, aren't they? Like, yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's been talking about it for a while. And I'm really hoping that the, the Guru Pitka makes an appearance in it. <laughs> Can you imagine? I don't think it will because of how badly this movie bombed. But yeah. I, I would, at that reference, I would be,、uh, I, would, I would really like it. Yeah, totally. So, one of the things that I want, another one of the things that I want to defend that kind of fr- I think will frame up some of the stuff we're going to talk about in this movie is I want to defend the inventiveness and the creativity of this film.、Mm-hmm. Um, It's, it's very on brand for Mike Myers、um, if you look at like, the Austin Powers movies and stuff. But like, when we talked about Master of Disguise, Aaron, we talked about it being made on a shoestring budget, how they couldn't really do a lot of the stuff they wanted to do, but you still had this very Dana Carvey esque brand of humor.、Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, look at, if you look at The Love Guru, you know, so much of the stuff that worked in Austin Powers kind of gets recycled here, but it's like, cranked up to 11. Yeah.、Um, in this movie, there's, there's music numbers, there's physical comedy, there's sight gags, there's audio gags, you know, there's camera you know, stuff, there's, there's all the slapstick violence, there's wordplay. Everyone's name is some sort of like, you know, juvenile perverted thing. Yeah. Every t- town that everyone's from, you know, like for instance, he was the, the town that the Guru Pitka's from is called Heron Makister. Yeah. And it's got cameos. My gosh, the cameos, Aaron. We got Val Kilmer, Jessica Simpson. We got Ben Kingsley playing, uh, uh, basically guru playing. Doug in my pudding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> guru Doug in my pudding. Yeah. Oh, so good. And yeah, and of course, Justin Timberlake, you know, they. they Wait,、uh, don't they, forget about Mariska Hargate. 
You can't yes. forget about that. <laughs> they're they're using this actress's name as a like a greeting slash blessing slash yeah. Everything. So so it would be like the equivalent of how I guess uh, Hindu people say Namaste. It would be yes. the equivalent of that, but they're going Barishma Hargate. So there's literally a scene where he like runs into her. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I believe she's on Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Yeah. And uh, so he goes up to her and he's like, Marishma Hargate, Marishma Hargate. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty funny scene. Yeah. And some of the other inventiveness, just things you things yeah. that you've never seen before, right? Like there's yeah. a he rides around on like a motorized pillow. Um, some of the gags they do with the elephant. Um, again, the fact that there's hockey in this film, you know, there's so many like ingredients in this film that are just it's it's outrageous. It's really an outrageous. It's so film. outrageous. And another one, another thing too. Uh, on top of all the stuff we already talked about, you know, there, there's even like a there's Bollywood numbers, like he's kind of yeah. playing homage to a lot of that. But also, there's uh, something called fourth wall breaking, which is basically when a character in a movie acknowledges the camera and acknowledges that they're being watched by an audience. Yeah. Uh, a la Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds, another Canadian comedian. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Mike Myers breaks the fourth wall several times throughout this movie. And uh, that's also, it's very inventive. It's very, it's a very bold choice. Um, but yeah, he's just pulling out all the stops on this film, man. And I really have to defend that because as far as inventiveness goes, um, love it or hate it, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of writers slash actor directors that do this kind of stuff. No. Or even that did this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's one of a kind. Do you think that this film tonally and production-wise was kind of what Dana Carvey wanted Master of Disguise to feel like? Yeah, definitely. I think that we would have had, um, like in my mind, this movie is probably like flows way better, um, doesn't like has like makes steady pace throughout the entire movie, whereas in Master of Disguise was just like, complete chaos like all the time you don't know like times time like how much time is happening or anything and right. uh, yeah if he would if they would have had the budget i i would bet we would have seen a similar movie yeah and that's how i felt too while watching this i couldn't help but make the draw the parallels because they're you know they're they're there's there's kind of frenemies in real life yeah and they both do these wacky films um there was also a line that Mike Myers said in this movie, which is a line that gets used in Master of Disguise like several times. Near the end of the film, Mike Myers' as Guru Pitka says, you know, I think he says, it's so crazy, it just might work. Or he says, it just might work. Which jumped out at me as the line that Pistachio Disguise says mm. about five or six times throughout the film. Yeah. And then I was thinking about when Dana Carvey did the Shrek thing in Master of Disguise. And even in The Love Guru, they reference the Bohemian Rhapsody Wayne's World scene when he's yeah. driving with Darren yeah. Roanoke. And I kept thinking, man, there's like this, there's like, there's almost like this cinematic universe happening here, but not quite like, yeah, you know, I was like, frick, if only they could all just. And don't forget about up. Jessica Simpson being in both of them. That's the other thing. Jessica Simpson's in both of them. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, yeah, man, if these guys could just make up, they would have their little cinematic universe, and some of these characters could interact and and、uh, cross paths with each other, and we'd get even more chaos. <laughs> oh man, can you imagine a love guru and a master of disguise like combo movie? Yeah, <laughs> that would be amazing.、Uh, we'd probably, I well, no, I would probably be the only person that like loved it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, and the other thing under inventiveness, man. There's so much to list under inventiveness. It's like it, it's like half half the points that I have written down here are just things that you know, for better or worse, he tried. Right? Yeah.、Uh, one of the things was doing the 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 de aging where he stuck his head on like a kid's body, like、yeah. digitally. <laughs> it's so dumb, but like again, I I can't remember having seen that before. Right.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, and Vern Troyer, his coach's office, everything is scaled down、yeah. um, for his height, and so all the furniture is small, and everything in the office is small, right? Yeah. And I was, I was like, man, love it or hate it, like somebody, like these goofy ideas, like they just all came out. You know what I mean? So、yeah. many goofy ideas.、Um, another little quick trivia: apparently, after the movie, Vern Troyer took a lot of that furniture <laughs> home <laughs> and、really? like uses it in his home. <laughs> That's awesome! Yeah. Um. Oh man, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I love it or hate it. There, this movie is absolutely full. It's bursting at the seams、mm-hmm. with inventiveness. The opening scene has him talking through a voiceover machine with、yeah. the settings set to Morgan Freeman. Yes. <laughs> Which again, I remember. I think I remember seeing that in like the first trailer for it, like way back in the day. And immediately I thought, okay, like what? What is Mike Myers doing here? Like, what's the next thing, right? Yeah. Um. um yeah. So, I, <laughs> so, like, like, just to touch on what you were saying is, it's amazing too because Mike Myers is just such a talent. Like, there's no denying it. The way that he can commit to a role and absolutely like lose himself is just—it's just an understatement of what goes on in this movie. Because like it's next level, and I think it's often missed that people are just so concentrated on content and what what's going on that you're, you're actually like missing the fact that this guy is just an absolute <laughs> talent and、yeah. one of the funniest people on the earth. Yeah, it's so true. You love his movies or hate them, you can't discount this crazy ball energy. You know. Yeah. Um, but the Love Guru didn't go well,、um, and Mike Myers took a bit of a hiatus after that. Yeah, and this is kind of the last starring role he's had. Yeah,、um, and it's kind of easy to see what like once you watch it. Like, admittingly, a few scenes ran pretty long,、uh, in my opinion.、Um, the one scene where、uh, he has he has Jessica Alba's character over for like a a dinner. And his、uh, his assistant Rajneesh is like rolling the the nuts into the little、oh, yeah. sack, and it just it goes on forever. And of course, the love guru somehow is like experiencing or feeling what you know、yeah. the the connection. It's just it's all very goofy, but it lasts for so long. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah this this is. 
I, I have issues with this film, but it is so easy to defend, in my opinion, just because mm-hmm. it's it's just chaos. It's like it's it's just like a it's like flipping through a coloring book. It's just like, oh, well, that's cool. That's cool. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. It's just, there's so much going on. It's a very vibrant movie, very bright. The saturation's just cranked up on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many cameos, Aaron. So many cameos. Yeah. Um, it's just so impressive. Like, only Mike Myers is able to rope together this much <laughs> yeah. talent. Even Kanye West is in this. Oh, we got to talk about this whole Kanye West thing. Yeah. It is so funny. <laughs> what does he say? I love yeah, hockey. I love hockey. <laughs> oh. They couldn't get Celine Dion, though. <laughs> no. Yeah. Celine Dion is like next level above everything, though. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, Ryan Reynolds got her, though. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I guess. Hey, she yeah. brought. Okay, this is my theory. She regretted not being in this movie, so <laughs> she's like, "Next opportunity, I'll be in it." This movie, to me, this movie was like throwing Master of Disguise, Austin Powers, and Deadpool in a blender and just pressing the Mike Myers button. Yeah, I would agree with that. Part of the reason why I love this movie is because I'm like Indian, first generation Canadian. Um, and so this this deals with like a lot of that things um, as a Canadian. We're usually when any time we're referenced in movies, um, it's usually like making fun of us because we say a or boot or whatever that that sort of like stereotypical stuff. And mm-hmm. so as a Canadian, it was really refreshing to see like, oh, OK, yeah, like hockey. Yeah, that's another stereotype. But at least it's one that like we don't mind. We're proud of. Right. Right. And uh, and then obviously from like an Indian point of view is generally there is like there's either Bollywood movies or Indian people aren't really in any any other movies. And any of like um, like ethnic or Middle Eastern descent is usually like portrayed as like as a uh, terrorist or something like that. So it was also nice to see a movie in which shed mm-hmm. like a nice light on Indian people rather than a negative one. And yeah. Yeah. And so, so that was like, that's what like anytime a movie has those things, I'm always going to be biased in favor of it yeah. because like, I just don't see that enough. And like, and it's always, it always makes me happy to see things that are like reflecting my culture. Uh, Canadian and Indian. Yeah, representation is important. I mean, this was 2008. I, I, a lot of this stuff hadn't made its way over to you know Western culture yet, especially like Bollywood and stuff like that, right? Um, of course, it was still huge, but it wasn't. You know, this was. I, I feel like Mike Myers had a lot of fascinations and really dug deep into this stuff based on his interactions with Deepak Chopra and really tried to bring as much of that into the movie as he could. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed a lot of that. Um, um, can, can I read you one thing though? Cause so in this movie, it obviously deals with a lot of like Hinduism and whatnot. And mm-hmm. uh, when I was reading this and so the Hindu American foundation was apparently very concerned for whenever this movie was coming out that it was going to do a mis- misrepresentation of Hinduism. <laughs> and when it does come out, like since it's uh, Hinduism is like not very not common in movies, 
and they were right. they were very concerned that it was going to be a um, like they they were they were going to like mis misrepresent the Hindu uh, culture. And so what they did is they offered them like they can screen it and then they can they can view it before it ever releases. And so <laughs> right. so the I was reading on the Wikipedia page and this is one of the lines. It says the Hindu American Foundation agreed to view the film to be able to inform the American Hindu community in light of concerned inquiries that were reported to its national headquarters. The reviewers wow. concluded that the film was vulgar and crude, but not necessarily <laughs> anti-Hindu. I like I just thought that was a hilarious, hilarious uh line there. That should be on the poster. This film is vulgar and crude, but not necessarily anti-Hindu. And I was like, that's like a pretty that's a pretty accurate way of describing this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh so we need more Hindu uh, movie critics in the world. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Very eloquent. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, oh, okay. So should we go back to this Kanye West thing? Because uh, I feel like we have to talk about the reason why Kanye West is in this movie. Yeah. And do you remember uh, years, I think it was like a few years before this, they were doing a live aid for Hurricane Katrina. Oh, yes. And yeah. and so it was Mike Myers, Kanye West, and they were like doing their little spiel about how to donate money. And then and uh, they're standing together. And then Kanye West just goes off the rails and <laughs> is um, just like saying all this stuff like we got to support them. We got to support like black people. And then <laughs> the last thing he says is the destruction of the spirit of the people of southern Louisiana and Mississippi may end up being the most tragic loss of all. George Bush doesn't care about black people. And meanwhile, Mike Myers is just standing right beside him, like looking off. And you could tell, like, he doesn't know what to do. Um, it's probably the most awkward look I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And, and this this is coming from a guy that I feel like like has made movies on awkwardness. You know, like that's that's his main yeah. that's his like bread and butter. But here he can't do anything. And you, you like look at Mike Myers' eyes, and you know so badly he just wants to like make a joke to ease the tension and whatever is going on, but like doesn't yeah. do it. Just sits there quietly. <laughs> so it was nice to see like them in this movie, and um, <laughs> there is also a deleted scene of them get, being interviewed after the after the hockey game, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like it, Kanye West is like starting to like go off the rails again. And Mike Myers grabs the ga, grabs the microphone and is like, ah, yeah, and it's uh, we're we're doing good. It's great. We love <laughs> hockey. And then like they kind of go off screen and you hear them being like Kanye being like, why do you always do that? You don't have to always do that to me. It's it's pretty funny. <laughs> He's trying to politely wrangle wrangle Kanye's rant. Yeah. Oh, man. And then they pal up in this film for one shot where Mike Myers again, uh, very Deadpool-esque, breaks the fourth wall. And he's in the stands watching the game. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, with Kanye. Well, Kanye West yells, I love hockey. Yeah. So before we we kind of dissect the the flow of the movie bit here, um, I was reading that they... They filmed the hockey sequences 
mid-actual hockey games, like in between the period breaks. Okay. Um, in order to kind of organically have this the stands full and the director would just give them uh, actions to like, you know, okay, everyone cheer, everyone do this, reactions, whatever. Yeah. Um, but there's certain shots, everything on the bench, I think, I don't know this for sure, but I feel like it's a sound stage that, that because whenever they're shooting the bench scenes, the hockey bench scenes, the camera's always very forward facing. Mm-hmm. The audio is super clean. Like if you've ever talked in a hockey arena, you know that it's, you know, it's echoey and it's super noisy and there's always music playing out of a speaker somewhere. But like the music, the, the, the audio, the talking, every time they cut to the bench is very crisp and kind of takes you out of it because it's, it's unrealistic to the mm-hmm. environment. So I kept thinking that, you know, they shot all the hockey stuff they had to, and then they did all the soundstage stuff, and then they mashed that together with, like, Stephen Colbert and Jim Gaffigan's commentary slash hosting, because they kind of do both in this film. That was a two-game suspension. That would mean Roanoke would be out for game two and three. He could play in game four. Of course, we don't know if we're going to game five. Two and three, out, can't play in the game. He can watch the game at home, but he can't play. He can pretend to play while he's at home, but he cannot play on the ice in the game that we're watching, which is after this game, because we're in game one. You have a firm grasp of the obvious. Yeah, it, it was really, really inventive, kind of the way they were able to make the hockey stuff work. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I did read somewhere that apparently Mike Myers was very upset that they couldn't get the licensing for the actual goal horns. That was the only oh, thing they really? couldn't get. Yeah, apparently someone owned the rights to the goal horns and they couldn't use them, so they just use like a generic hockey buzzer whenever someone scores, which also, as a Canadian, kind of takes you out of it because you know that like, a goal horn is like a huge part of hockey. Yeah. So, you know, it's um, very, very inventive, you know, um, very, very creative. Um, the last kind of the climax of the film, I know we'll get there, but they even do a compositing shot where they have these two elephants going at it on the ice. (laughs) But when they do the wide shots, you can tell the lighting's all wrong. They're really not there. But the fact that they kind of make you believe that is, you know, again, it's terrible. It's juvenile, but it's really inventive. (laughs) Yeah. Um, before I, before I forget, can I bring up my like most WTF moment of this, uh, of this movie? Yes. Okay. It's after, it's after the two elephants are like, he brings the two <laughs> elephants onto the ice because it's the ultimate distraction. No matter how intelligent yeah. you are of a person, if you see two elephants basically humping, you're going to get yeah. distracted and look at them. Yeah, I suppose. And yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, I don't know. I like honestly I I would look. I'm not even I'm just going to go there. I would look. <laughs> um but anyways, after like while they're while they're doing that and they're doing all the cutscenes like to the crowd's reaction and to everyone's reaction, they cut to this cut like this couple, like this overweight couple that's sitting oh, yeah. in the stands and they like <laughs> look at each other and like they're like, Oh, that's cute. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. I was like, Why is that in here? I was like, No. Like, why did you put that like oh man, I oh I couldn't That's hilarious. That 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 was the WTF moment of the movie for me. I think mine was right in the opening credits. I mean, we're talking the opening credits of this film. He's playing uh, 9 to 5. They're doing like kind of a Bollywood mashup of 9 to 5. Um, 
And then they're doing these cutaways of him doing stretches and all these yoga positions. Yeah. And for some reason, he sticks his head up his own ass. Oh, yeah. Like right in the opening credits. Yeah. And then like he acts as if he didn't mean to do it. Like he's like struggling like, ah, ah. And I'm like, what? Like it's 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 such a tone to set at the start of your film where your protagonist sticks his head up his own ass. And I was like, why did he do that? Like he's, it doesn't oh. seem like some, and he's wearing a chastity belt. So how did he get his head? Oh, past there's his so belt? many questions about him in this chastity there's, belt. Yeah, I, I, I really. So to set that up, because um, we should talk about chastity belts on film for a second. Because <laughs> to to set it up, Mike Myers, Guru Pitka wears a chastity belt, and Jessica Alba and him, she wants to get together with him. Um, but he keeps kind of pushing her away because he knows that he has this, this, uh, this oath to celibacy that he kind of made yeah and he wears this chastity belt that has like an elephant on it and it's very tacky looking um but there's a couple scenes where whenever he uh becomes aroused you kind of hear this clang as (laughs) he he collides with it right so it's 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 kind of this ongoing gag in the film um but i i i wanted to say before i before I go and I rant about chastity belts on film, Aaron, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. What, like my opinion of chastity belts? Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, I, I, what was that movie? Robin Hood Men in Tights? Yeah. That was my first, like, first time I ever knew what a chastity belt was watching that yeah. movie. Um, this movie, I was just like, I don't know. It's fine. It's fine if you want to have a chastity belt, but like, at least make it flow, flow with a movie, you know, where, yeah, where, like you said, he had his butt or his head up his butt. I almost said his butt up his head. Um, and then there was like a few other things, like I'm pretty sure him peeing or stuff like that, that just doesn't make sense because he has this thing on and then what's the deal with him like you have this chastity belt but like how do you do number two or number one like do you get to take them off do you just like go in the belt like i have so many questions about them this was my this was my question exactly that so i went down a rap naturally i went down an internet rabbit hole on chastity belts and i wanted to show you my findings um so on film, there's this there's this big um, cliche where if anyone's wearing a chastity belt in a film, it's usually because somebody put them in it and they hold the key and the key isn't accessible to them. Yeah. I think I've seen it like a half a dozen times throughout my history of watching films. Mm-hmm. And it always seems like this burden or this curse. But when I dug into the history of chastity belts, I found that... Um, they used to be made of metal and primarily worn by women, um, but they were usually worn as a protective device. If they were traveling to a foreign country, they would wear a chastity belt in order to prevent sexual assault and things mm. like that. So they, were, they weren't so much used as like a celibate thing, but rather to protect themselves. Yeah. Um, and of course, they required constant maintenance because they would rust and it's very unhygienic. So they'd always take them off and clean them, and they would have they would have access points to use the bathroom. Oh. But again, they nice. would they would rare they would regularly take them off and clean them. Um, now I found out that chastity belts are still used in today's society. I don't know where, but like apparently they're made from like. Uh, plastic now and different materials like that 
And people still commonly use them if they're, say, their spouse is traveling. They give them a chastity belt to make sure that they don't、uh, cheat on them or something like that. Or again, while traveling, apparently it's like this unspoken,、hmm. fairly common thing for women to wear chastity belts when traveling to dangerous countries. And this kind of blew my mind because. I've, I've literally given zero thought to chastity belts before watching this film. And then I was like, I wonder if that's an actual thing where anyone who wears a chastity belt has to like wait for the key from their mentor、mm-hmm. or their, you know, their overarching, you know, you know what I mean? It's always, it's always some like figure of power that's over them that says, I'll give you the key when you find true love or I'll give you the key when you're, you've learned your lesson, you know?、Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a big takeaway for me is chastity belts are still used. <laughs> They're and, fairly practical. And what you're telling me <laughs> is you and your wife are going to buy each other a chastity belt. <laughs> His and hers chastity belts. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, Guru Pitka finds out that、uh, he, the, the key to the chastity belt, there was no key. It was, he was always able to take it off with a snap in the back. Mm hmm. But they imply that for as long as he's been a guru, he's never taken off that belt, which is pretty nasty because that's just not how chastity belts have ever worked. Yeah. It's not something that you put on as a kid and then wear until you, whatever, right? It's just, it's like putting on a, it's like putting on a jacket. It's not like, you know, a prison sentence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's a big takeaway from this episode. <laughs> The more you know, <laughs> chastity belts. Yeah. Where can I get one? Yeah, it's <laughs> protect myself. One of my all time、um, favorite lines of this movie that to this day I still say to people is、uh, when the scene where they're in the bar, and I think it's Daniel Tosh,、um, just、yeah. show like completely <laughs> random cameo by Daniel Tosh. And like, I think when this movie came out, he wasn't anybody at that point. No, I don't think so.、Um, like, it was only until years later watching it、uh, that I realized that was Daniel Tosh.、Um, yeah. But, anyways, so they're about to get into a fight, and he's wearing a, he's wearing a cow, cowboy hat, and he says, Darren Roanoke. You mean Rowan Choke, more like. <laughs> That's great. Nice hat. I had a hat like that once. Yeah. Then my mom got a job. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, to like, So、you should, you, like anyone listening, you should try that line out on someone because it's not, necessar- <laughs> not necessarily like a bad thing, or, but people take it so offensively.、Mm. And it's probably one of the most, like, I'm pretty sure I've said it to you before, Dan. Oh, yeah, multiple times. <laughs> And it just makes you feel like, well, like, what's wrong with this hat? But yeah, yeah. it's just a goofy line from a movie. Yeah, so in this movie,、um, so Guru Pitka travels to Toronto. He agrees to take the job from Jessica Alba, Jane Bullard.、Um, she's the daughter and the owner, or she's the owner of the Maple Leafs, but she's the daughter of the previous owner、mm-hmm. who is blamed for, the, blamed for the Stanley Cup drought. So she really, it, her career is kind of on the line to win the Stanley Cup. And also,、um, you have Romani Malco playing Darren Roanoke. Um, who they describe as the Tyler, Tiger Woods of hockey,、um, who gets the shakes every time he thinks about his ex,、um, who's named Prudence, who's played by Megan Good. So everyone's got stakes in this film. 
uh, everyone's got a a, a, crew, uh, a character start and an end point, which is mm-hmm. more than I can say for Master of Disguise. You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. Um, I liked the I liked some of the messages in this film, Aaron. I liked the message, even though it's like hokey and it's it's silly. You know, I did like the idea that even this love guru had this. You know, he wasn't. Uh, he he had a challenge to overcome, and he had to deal with his own ego and his own pride. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a good takeaway message. And uh, even Jessica Alba, she goes her character. She's so fearful of the fans of Toronto Maple Leafs and and uh, the backlash she's receiving that she literally stands behind certain lines painted in the arena so the crowd can't see her. Um, but then, of course, by the end of the movie, she stands up to the crowd and says, I'm not going to say bad things about myself. Um, so an underlining theme in this movie is that every major character goes through a transformation. They go through a growth, a start, a middle, and an end point. Um, and, you know, for a movie about chaos and a movie about dick and ball jokes and sex jokes and everything super perverted, there are some great... Uh, there's some good writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. One thing I particularly liked uh, was about the guru, like when you have the love guru here, the guru Pika, he, the way he portray- portrayed himself was he didn't have it all figured out. And mm-hmm. he was continuously figuring it out as he went. And I think that's um, such a positive message because I don't think we ever have anything figured out and we're constantly like evolving and learning. And so to have someone who just has all the answers never makes sense. Mm-hmm. And he didn't portray himself in that way, which is just really insane to me that you would go to that level of um, like in the way that you want to portray your character in this goofy comedy movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There's, there's levels of depth to every character that seem um, almost unnecessary if you were just doing like a, yeah. a gross out movie. Um, even Darren Roanoke, um, you know, he wants to get his wife back. But he also wants to win the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. But he also can't play hockey in front of his mom. He freezes up. So his mom's never been to any of his games. I took a shortcut with you, and I'm sorry. Now, what is it you can't face? What did you just say to me? What is it you can't face? I can't face my mom. Then that's what you have to face. Will you help me? I can't. You're on your own when it comes to your mother. That's like three prongs of a character that's that's not even in the movie that much. Mm-hmm. So, um, I oh, sorry. Can I credit. can I add something in there? I just wanted to say oh, sure. yeah. that uh, that's probably also the difference between this movie and Master of Disguise is the level of depth that each character has. Yeah, everyone's got something on the line. Even Vern Troy, our coach, Punch yeah. Cherkov, he he wants to win the Stanley Cup, obviously. But, you know, he's trying to make his boss happy, Jane, um, you know, but he's also trying to, he doesn't like this love guru. Like, Mm -hmm. the love guru, he's actually, like, uh, Guru Pitka is actually a total jerk to him and makes all these, like, dwarf jokes and all this stuff. And he eventually stands up to the love guru and punches him right in the balls slash chastity belt. (laughs) So even that, even even the, the goofy coach character 
has an arc and gets to stand up to the guy who's being a jerk to him. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, like, and his assistant too, who is, uh, because, you know, Mike Myers stumbles off the pass and tries to take a uh, shortcut here. But then his assistant yeah. steps in and like says, no, this isn't right. And connects it. Like the assistant who barely has any lines is just basically passing like back and forth has so much depth to him. Totally. For for a guy that's kind of the foil of a lot of his like uh ambiguous sexuality jokes, mm-hmm. um, he also has agency. And I was like, man, this is um the the attention to character in a movie of this uh genre is really fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because every every character exists within that world. Um the only character I'm not a fan of uh is justin timberlake's character what um yeah i'm gonna be honest with you i mean we (laughs) i i feel like justin timberlake is terrible in this film (laughs) but like i i the character that he was supposed to do he he did it to t he did he did i just didn't like it his accent is so bad and it seemed weird to me that for all the detail mike myers put into you know, the hockey in Toronto and everything. I almost felt like I I wish he had gotten an actual hockey player to play that role. Mm. That would have been way more fun to me. You know, can you imagine if that role was like, uh, I don't know, like name a, name a hockey player. Like imagine that hockey player was like Alexander Ovechkin or something. You know (laughs) what I mean? (laughs) It would just, it would just kind of elevate the material a bit. Actually, that would be pretty, pretty funny if it was Alex, Alexander Ovechkin, he would be, because it, it offsets me a bit. It, it put me a bit out of kilter that this movie's set in Canada. It's set in Toronto. Um, but the antagonist, the goalie, is French-Canadian. But yeah. he's on the opposing team. Yeah. I feel like maybe the Toronto Maple Leafs goalie should have been French-Canadian. And, you know, could have been like a side character to inject some humor. Mm-hmm. But then I felt like the the antagonist, the goalie, the guy we don't want to see win should have been more of a serious kind of jerk character. Mm. But you instead you have this twiggy Justin Timberlake with his terrible accent and his, you know, just his only character trait is he's got a big hog. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a pet pig? I, what's that? He said he's got, he's a, got pet a pet pig. pig. <laughs> and he has an attack rooster, which is uh, hilarious and creative. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a guard rooster. So... I don't know, Aaron. Uh, defend, defend Justin Timberlake. To well, <laughs> I think the only thing, like my only bone to pick with that is I wish they would have had a Canadian guy playing that role. Right. Um, just because of the way that the movie was going, I think that someone who is Canadian would have brought a lot more to that role because they would have kind of understood more of what he was going for. Um Given given that, I think though that he still did a pretty good job. Like he was funny to me whenever he, he talks about the was it the Quebec pizza, <laughs> and he says it's pop tarts with ketchup, and then he goes, "She's good." And it's like I I don't know. I thought that was that scene was like extreme. And when he starts singing Celine Dion, like I cracked up at that too. I remember people quoting that Quebec pizza line a lot when this came out. Um. Oh, yeah. And of course, um, I totally forgot to mention um, John Oliver is also in this film playing uh, his manager. Yeah. Yeah. The and manager. his name is his name is Dick Pants. Dick Pants. 
Um, which as far as character names go, it's pretty funny because at first they introduce him as like Richard Pants or something, but then Mike Myers does a camera take where he literally just says his name is Dick Pants. (laughs) It's just like, it's, it's, it's crazy how many people in this movie, uh, went on to do bigger, better things. Um, John Oliver and Stephen Colbert are both huge in the, the, the talk TV, you know, um, community. I also remembered my second favorite scene of this film is when uh, Val Kilmer, the Val Kilmer cameo, yes. when Guru Pika gives him that look, and then he says, "Why do you hurt me?" <laughs> He's yeah. like, "I know why." So I have a theory about this film, um, because this came out a week apart from "You Don't Mess with the Zohan," mm-hmm. right? And You Don't Mess With The Zohan took in $100 million at the box office. Oh, what? Yeah. Okay. And Adam Sandler, to this day, he, he casts a, bit, a pretty big shadow on the box office. Like, his most recent Netflix film with Jennifer Aniston just smashed records as, like, the biggest um, opening in terms of viewing mm-hmm. of any movie on Netflix. Like, yeah. any movie on Netflix. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yeah, so I was thinking, like, um, I, I feel like the love guru, the timing was all wrong, mm-hmm. you know? And also, admit, you know, of course, it's very, very juvenile. There's lots of potty humor, you know? It's very, like, we talked about Master of Disguise, very low-hanging fruit, just, mm-hmm. you know, just, um, just letting the camera roll and letting Mike Myers do his thing. <laughs> I think it was, like, I, I think that something that has to do with that as well is whenever people are like, Oh, an Adams Adam Sandler movie, you know mm-hmm. what you're going to be watching. Like I, I haven't seen this Jennifer Aniston, um, Adam Sandler, uh, movie yet, but I probably could guess what it's going to be about. Yeah. It's a brand. Like you almost don't really need to watch an Adam Sandler movie to know what it's about, how it's going to go, who's going to be in it. Yeah. <laughs> And so they just give them different titles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that's that's like that's why it always surprises me. And I always say this, and I've said it before: like, get away from the mob mentality. Don't just pick yeah. the movie that's been done over and over again. Like this movie has um, so many beautiful parts, so many subtle humor, and it's just like humor packed on top of like humor packed on top of humor. Like I don't think that there is one serious scene in this movie or one scene that goes by without a joke being in it. Yeah, and that's true. To like to create like I don't to be that funny and to make a movie that is just joke after joke like literal joke after joke <laughs> is pro, is a feat in its own. Yeah, it it really is. Like the level of conviction that Mike Myers has about everything is really astounding. Like he's bringing the same panache and the same energy that he brought to all three Austin Powers films. 
in every scene, he's dancing around and he's doing voices. He's raising his eyebrow at the camera. He's, you know, he's got his big artificial nose. Um, okay, let me ask you this. If you yes. had to recommend this movie to someone, what would you say to get them to watch it? I, I would say um, if you want a good laugh and want to see some bizarre things, um, you just want to turn your brain off and see some immature, you know, maybe, uh, immature jokes rather, you know, check it out. You know, if you liked Austin Powers, it's, it's your duty to watch this and see how that all, <laughs> where that all went. Yeah. How about you? Um, yeah, I would say, say the sort of the same thing. Um, I, I would just honestly just try to make a point of, uh, like the talent that Mike Myers is. Uh, there is no one out there that is like him. Uh, I, in my opinion, and this may be a bit controversial, but like out of all the comedians, I think that Mike Myers of like that generation, you know, the Jim Carrey's, the Dana Carvey's, I'll throw Will Ferrell in there. Like Mike Myers to me is the funniest. Mm-hmm. Um, every, every, all those other comedians seem to have like a bit of an ego and whenever that ego comes into comes into movies, they they'll they won't go they won't go they won't lose themselves in a role. But I feel like Mike Myers checks his ego at the door and just completely loses himself. Um, you know, like what actor, what other actor is willing to have a scene with him have like putting his own head up his ass, right? Like that's just. That's just one of those things. Like he just completely checks his ego and goes completely ham. And so if you want to see <laughs> Mike Myers in like what I would describe as maybe, maybe not um, like the best storyline or whatever, but like in his prime of acting and doing Mike Myers, like this is the movie. Yeah. Yeah, it really is because he's had three Austin Powers movies and some Shrek films to, mm-hmm. to sharpen up what his brand right yeah i i feel like i feel like mike myers has a brand as much as will smith has a brand as much as jim carrey has a brand you know well actually jim carrey's um he is diversified more than i think any of these other yeah that's very in terms true. of the kind of rules but at the same time you know jim carrey humor is jim carrey humor right yeah. it's like ingrained in in culture um but yeah, you know, Mike Myers, he's this goofy Canadian guy. He loves Canada. He wrote a book about Canada. You know, he's done all these hilarious movies from Wayne's World to So I Married an Axe Murder, Austin Powers, Shrek. Um, all his work on a, a, a SNL. Yeah, and he's still working today. He was in Inglorious Bastards. He was in Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, like you said, maybe another Austin Powers movie coming down the pipe. Yeah. That would be a lot of fun. I don't know what like 2020 or 2021 Austin Powers looks like, but, oh, you know. So excited. We'll see what he does, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, The Love Guru, um, it's it's not a chore to get through by any means. It's a total bullet train of a film like all yeah. of Mike Myers' movies. You know, you just kind of hold on and an hour and a half later that's that's it tight tight little story you know yeah yeah um this movie has some hilarious lines in it um absolutely hilarious wordplay but it's also juvenile so you have to be in the right mood for it you know yeah 
humor is so subjective and nothing could be more subjective than this movie. Like there is, I know tons of people that would not think anything in this movie is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I think, I think there's a little something for everyone in this film. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. should we go, do you want to do a rating? Yeah, let's do a rating. Yeah, sure. Okay. What would you rate this? So if it was Rotten Tomatoes, um, I would still be under 50% with this movie really? just because it's, yeah, because in my opinion, it's still very divisive. It's still very immature, um, but it wouldn't be like the basement rating it's at. It would be probably like a 30, 40% where it's like, you know, it's not going to win any Oscars, but it's wildly entertaining. Um, I would give this probably somewhere around 68, 70%. Wow. That's where I would put it. Wow, okay. And, and I'd al- you- I'd also would rate it uh five uh <laughs> where what was his name? Rajneesh's out of five Rajneesh's because <laughs> he made this movie able to happen by being the one like Indian person in this entire movie. So he made everything like okay. Yeah, and I love how the elephant ends up being uh, Chekhov's pistol in this movie, where in the first act you're introduced to the elephant, and then in the third act, the elephant has sex on ice with the Maple Leafs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was just thinking that's, that's classic movie writing, where you introduce, uh, you know, you introduce that little thing, and you know that something's going to happen with it by the end of the film, right? But yeah. you have to wait until the third act to see how they're going to use the elephant. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah, another thing I wanted to mention, too, I should have mentioned it at the top, is that um, the reason that the Maple Leafs are in the Stanley Cup Finals with the LA Kings is an homage to the last time that the Maple Leafs were, in fact, in the conference oh, finals. Okay, It was against the LA Kings, but um, that was under Gretzky, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the LA, the LA Kings... Uh, Stole their thunder. But it's really interesting that Mike Myers had that much attention to this. Oh, yeah. That even the team that they were playing against made a difference. Even though in this movie, like, the entire thing shot in Toronto, regardless of the fact that uh, the LA Kings play on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, when they show any of the footage of the LA Kings home games... Um, nothing's changed. You know what I mean? Like that it's the same arena. They yeah. don't acknowledge, they don't acknowledge Los Angeles as a city at all in this film. Um, it doesn't really matter, but it's just kind of something I picked up on. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no filming in Los Angeles for this film. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. There's no exterior shots of LA. There's nothing. It's literally just, Oh, the away games, they happened. Okay. We're back over here now. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, this movie was more for us Canadians than anything else. Mm-hmm. Which is just makes um, me like Mike Myers that much that because you know when people be when Canadians become famous it's like Canada is like yeah whatever Canada like they can't wait to move somewhere warmer and so it's just nice to nice to see somebody like acknowledge their roots and where they came from and like the sport that they love. Yeah, totally, and it's very Canadiana. You know, Niagara Falls is in there. Yeah. you got various areas of Toronto. I think anyone that's watching this and lives in Toronto knows all these spots fairly well that they shot at. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's cool. You know, it's always nice when films show a bit of Canadian fun stuff. Yeah, even if it is parody and hammed up, it's still fun. I like that. Yeah, 
The world needs more Canada, man. <laughs> yeah, and less uh, <laughs> and less stereotyping of us of like the aboot and the uh, the a and stuff. Yeah, and, there are certain Canadian stereotypes I like. Like I love that uh, that Letter Kenny show. You okay, know, those yeah. kind of stereotypes are great. But yeah, enough of the uh, boots and A's and stuff. That's just low hanging fruit. That's silly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to say about the love? Girl? Oh, yes. Everyone, if you haven't seen it, drop what you're doing and watch it. <laughs> Because this movie I enjoyed very much, and I hope that you will too. Aaron, if you were trying to sell this movie to me, what would you say? Oh, I'd say, do you like low-hanging fruit jokes? Do you like uh, elephant something? Do you like hockey? Do you like strong character development and depth? I don't know. Because then you, this is the movie for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there was there was one last note I wanted to mention is that Justin Timberlake repeatedly uses the the word tabernacle, which is the most severe French yes. swear word that you can say. Yeah. It's it's the equivalent of dropping the f bomb. Um, but this was like a PG thirteen film, so um, apparently a lot of people were very upset That's that so he funny. said that. It's basically like this movie was rated PG-13 everywhere, but in, like, Quebec. And they were like, I can't believe he keeps saying this in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking that, too, because I've worked with a few uh, French Canadians and, like, yeah, whenever they swore, they would say that. And, yeah, exactly. It's it's very blasphemous. It doesn't have, like, sexual connotations like the F word, but, yeah, it's incredibly blasphemous. And it's apparently... Yeah, it's 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 so offensive. So I, w- I was really shocked when that came up because I'd forgotten about that. And then it just really stood out to me as like, uh, like wow, man, if you're French Canadian, this movie's like really offensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, may, yeah, it offensively good though. Offensively good. If you could get away with it, why not? And I feel <laughs> like they got away with it. They got they got away with a lot of things in this film. My goodness. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I think that'll do it for the Love Guru. Um, again, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, feel free to uh, shoot us a message on Twitter. If you want to reach out that way? You can get us at at Defense of Movies. We also have our email set up and running at In Defense of Movie Podcast at gmail.com um, we've gotten a lot of great feedback and a lot yes. of uh, yeah. episode requests as well so we do have a curated list but some of these requests might already be on there and they might come in the future so yeah. <laughs> so keep it locked and we'll keep bringing you more of in defense of a movie podcast <laughs> thanks for listening guys bye bye, bye.